Hello, and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse, Senior Multimedia Reporter. And I'm Andy Ricketts, Acting Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week, we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week, we're discussing a new report on corporate charity partnerships. But before we get to that, avid listeners might realise that we have a new voice on the podcast in the form of Lucinda, our new senior multimedia reporter. Lucinda, welcome Thank to Third Sector. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do you just want to introduce yourself? Tell us, a, tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you've been doing before now. Yes, I'd be delighted to. Um, so yes, this is my first week at Third Sector and my very first appearance on the podcast. Um, I was previously working mainly in West Africa. Uh, so I've come back home uh, a few months ago and uh, I was yeah, reporting on all sorts of things, also working for an international development consultancy before going into journalism. So have uh, a little bit of experience of the sector, um, done some communications work for NGOs and, and all the rest of it. And yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, I'm extremely passionate about podcasting. I love what you're doing already and can't wait to contribute further. You say all the right things. Now, <laughs> you also had a radio show, did you not, when you were in Africa? Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, I had a radio show back quite come considerable time ago. Um, yeah, perhaps probably my radio debut. Um, I was the host on Taranga FM, which uh-huh. is a community radio station in the town of San Luis in northern Senegal in West Africa. Uh, and I was responsible for hosting the daytime early afternoon music show when everybody was resting after their large <laughs> lunches um, and perhaps saying a prayer or two and it was called Les Heures de Silence. Okay. Yeah. I don't think we need much translation there. So it was all floaty sort of quiet calm music was it? Yes it was a sort of quite a strange collection of music that I had on my iPod at the time okay. um, taken from a friend's father's um, CD oh collection <laughs> so we had some Phil Collins some Lou, Lou Reed. Good stuff good stuff well welcome it's very good to um, have you with us shall we get on with the meat of the show? Yes. This week saw the publication of the Corporate NGO Partnerships Barometer by the business and advisory consultancy CE Advisory. CE Advisory surveyed people from 114 companies and NGOs to get their motivations for forming partnerships and understand their views on their effectiveness. And today we're joined by Manny Amadi, Chief Executive of CE Advisory, to talk us through the findings. If you're an avid listener of the Third Sector Podcast, you may recall that Manny joined us almost exactly a year ago to talk through the 2021 edition of the report. So Manny, thanks very much for joining us today. Welcome back. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks, Andy. Good to be here again. Very good. Could you start by telling us where we're at? You know, what is the current state of corporate NGO partnerships? Um, I would say the current state of uh, corporate NGO partnerships is, is healthy, actually. Um, healthy, important, improving, but facing headwinds because, of course, as we as we know, the economy um, and society more generally actually is facing some some turbulence. Um, we're just talking at a time in which the markets are responding to the Chancellor's statement last week. Um, so there's quite a lot of uncertainty. There is war in Ukraine. 
there are cost of living issues and so on. So the climate is actually quite uncertain. But within that, I think overall, I'd say um, partnerships between companies and and and, um, and charities, non profits, and so on, is playing a really important role. But the, the sort of the participants. Uh, in those uh, collaborations are having to think very carefully and be very adaptive uh, in the evolving climate. And obviously, it's been not just the past year, not just the past week, um, but, you know, coming up to three years of turmoil in in all of our lives. Um, But could you sort of perhaps run us through what the most significant changes have been in the corporate partnership space um, since your barometer last year? So I think companies mostly engage in partnerships because they want to enhance reputation um, and uh, and so on. And nonprofits are very interested in in securing income, uh, generating resources, and, and so on. So those things are uh, have been you know fairly stable. The things that are changing, I think, are that there's that continues to be this increasing recognition that actually partnerships can do more than those two things. And as the challenges I mentioned that are in society, and I didn't mention, of course, the environmental changes, um, the climate change, and the environmental challenges, etc. Um, but as those things, those pressures in society uh, and so on increase, I think companies and, and charities are having to think more deeply about the value of partnerships so in resource constrained times for instance uh, and also as pressure continues to mount and grow on all actors in society so governments uh, the private sector civil society and, and so on they are big, they're increasingly looking at and using partnerships to um, address issues more substantively so, so charities are increasingly saying what are we here to do what is our mission and how does engagement with our partners actually help us address the mission that we're here to to address and so on. Uh, and of course, cash is an important element of that, but mission-led partnerships are becoming even more important. On the other side, companies are increasingly being being pushed by different factors to become more purpose-led. So this concept of purpose, uh, either creating shareholder value um, um, whilst addressing the challenges and issues facing society and, and the stakeholders and the consumers and so on, that's becoming more prominent. So in the last year, uh, one of the big changes is that that concept towards um, that mission-led, uh, purposeful collaborations has intensified um, as well. Uh, so one of the things that we look out for in this in this report is the extent to which partnerships between companies and and, um, uh, and charities are, are moving the dial. So they're kind of they're changing, um, they're helping businesses and companies and brands to understand the context within which they they're working. So you know is I don't know, the use of sugar, for instance, in, in impacting people who are um, um, diabetic and, and, and potentially obese and, and what do they do about that? Um, or um, what is the environmental impact of their um, uh, of their activities and so on? So often companies are accused of and in fact do externalise costs to society, which others like charities have to pick up, right? So these partnerships uh, increasingly enable companies to understand um, the, the, their place and their role and their impact in society. And what sense do you get of the appetite for, on the corporate side for work with charities and NGOs? I think very strong, actually. And that's because, again, of pressure, actually, from different stakeholders. So their employees are wanting to see uh, the companies they work for 
uh, not just, for instance, create products, but actually play a role in, in society. Look at the communities that they you know, kind of they operate in, um, and communities defined not just actually as a company, the, the communities around the company, but actually the communities from which they 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 draw their um, top of their um, supply chains, right? The, the, where they sort of uh, so so that's 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 a factor. Um, and then I think there's pressure on companies coming also from consumers who you know. Uh, not just millennials and and, and others and so on, uh, but other wider consumer bases who want to see companies actually also play an active role in society. So I think those things are meaning that companies are having to engage more uh, in this partnership. So if we look to the future, I talked earlier about the headwinds, if you like, that are facing all of us and facing society generally. So despite cost of living crisis uh, and things like the war in Ukraine and uncertainty, the economic uncertainty, so on, looking forward, companies and charities say that partnering between themselves will, will become even more important. Um, I think something like over 90% expect that to be more important and, in, and many more companies will be investing more in, this part, in, in these partnerships um, and, and because of those pressures, essentially. And because actually, to be fair, they are seeing the benefits of engaging in partnerships with charities. So that sounds actually pretty optimistic at a time when um, we are all <laughs> quite frightened about about what's going to be happening in in the near and and medium term. Um, and perhaps that brings us on quite nicely to to another question about um, what the special topical focus has been. On this year, I, I understand it that you have a different focus, a different special area in each edition. What what is it this year? Yes, so um, so many of the questions in this survey, which is one of the, the big inputs into the into the report, are, are standard. Right, it's a barometer, so we can see year on year, we can track changes. But yes, we do have uh, special topics each year. And this year, we were looking at the cost of living crisis and the impact on partnering, and then also the the impact of the Ukraine war. Uh, on partnering, um, and and what we found actually was that the cost of living crisis will have a big impact in the sense that um, many of the companies and charities that are engaging uh, in partnerships and so on uh, are focused on what they might do to address the issues that the issues that fall out of uh, fall out of that, uh, and so. Um, I think 87% of companies and 86% of um, of charities report that this will be an issue that features very strongly, already is featuring strongly, actually, in their partnerships. So they're having to adapt, actually, some of the things that they're doing. And then partnerships are helping companies to focus on and access and reach people who are um, uh, so customers who are struggling or harder to reach and uh, and uh, and to get I guess insights as to how to engage with and communicate and support those you know those um, those those customers so it's it's playing quite an important role um, for charities um, the cost of living crisis even in their partnerships is having some effect so for some of them um, there's a there's a worry about well there's a need to raise more funds actually to support you know their um, beneficiaries who are struggling more. And you mentioned, uh, Lucinda, um, that I sort of things are looking optimistic going ahead. I mean, I don't want to kind of over-exaggerate that. Of course, there will be many charities who, in, who are engaged in partnerships who would worry that you know, companies uh, perhaps might be cutting you know, budgets for partnering and so on. And that may be the case. That's not coming strongly through our, our research. I think what is happening, and which might be risky for some charities actually, is that companies are just having to be much more focused and much more strategic. So the risk, therefore, is that for charities that are not in those 
big strategic partnerships uh, and so on, there's a risk they may lose out. Um, uh, so overall, the message is good and positive and encouraging in difficult circumstances, but depending on the context of the particular charity, they may have to you know, think harder, work harder, um, uh, be more focused in identifying their potential partners uh, on issues that are most relevant to those potential partners. Yeah, you, you touched on on the risks there, and I wondered if you could expand on that at all, just broadly for charities that are involved in corporate partnerships. What risks you you sort of foresee, and how significant you consider them to be for voluntary sector organisations? So, um, companies, most companies have if they if they if they're investing in partnering with with um, and supporting charities and so on, they will have a portfolio and they'll have a percent a way of managing that portfolio. If you, so if you think about maybe a triangle, if you like that has sort of three segments. At the top they might have sort of their flagship or flagship partnerships that they have. In the middle they might have a, a small number of you know sort of major relationships that they have. And then and then at the bottom of that they have many, many, many sort of small things they do reactively. Right. So if you're a charity at sort of the bottom of that triangle and, and, and companies are reactively supporting your, your cause and your charity, you might be facing a bit more pressure. If you're in the middle of that triangle um, um, or at the top of the triangle, then you have to be that much more focused uh, in terms of the value that the partnership is, is providing. Um, so that's just a, a challenge about, you know, uh, focus value etc and then having said that the other challenge is that um and you can call it a, a challenge or an opportunity so it sort of links us to the thing the point i was making earlier about mission-led partnerships there are still charities who um in a sense look at partnerships almost like a sort of look as sort of a cash machine almost and uh there's a risk in that uh, we are hearing, and the survey is showing this, that companies are increasingly wanting to engage in, in, in mission-led partnerships in which they sort of problem-solving relationships, if you like, in which they they draw on their competencies, their assets, and so on to, 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 to address key problems. Cash comes as a part of that. That's not instead of cash. Um, but those sorts of collaborations are more effective when both parties recognize that. So the type of partnerships in which a charity says, we are the specialists, give us the money, let's go solve the problem, will be under pressure. And so there's a risk that charities that have that mindset and haven't really thought through internally their approach to you know, collaboration with the private sector um, might find themselves disadvantaged. So if we look at the charities that so we do as a part of the report, we ask for sort of the most admired um, uh, corporate charity partnerships. And this year, uh, for the first time, Tesco, WWF, the partnership between them has, is, is, has won that. It's sort of most admired. And that's a really great example of a mission-led partnership in which the two organizations are working to address a range of environmental issues and to change behaviors. And, and, and so it's a very substantive partnership. You know, that comes with cash. But it's, you know, the mission is absolutely at the heart of that partnership. Sim similarly, Boots Macmillan, which is long admired as a partnership between, you know, kind of two entities and so on, focused actually on the cause, which is essentially Macmillan um, accessing or, or people who are affected by cancer, um, accessing support on the high street via Boots stores. Cash comes as a part of that, but cash is not the key thing. At the heart of that, of that. I wonder what your advice would be for charities that are looking to get involved in more corporate partnerships and maybe look to try to land some of the bigger ones. What sort of principles do you think that 
charities should apply when they're trying to um, land these these big fish, so to speak? Most important advice, I think, would be to start with the sort of the existentialist question: Why? Why partner? Um, what is it that you are trying to achieve? And that sounds like a, a kind of almost ridiculously simple thing to say, but it's really important, and to do that internally and to align internally. Um, so the why partner bit will help you determine what is it you want from engagements. Because actually partnerships are not easy. So as we all know, who are, you know, those of us who are fortunate enough to be in relationships, you know, you know, if you're by yourself, you know what you want, you get on and do stuff. If you're you know, interacting with other people you know, in a relationship or at work or something, you, you, know, you have to make compromises and so on. And so you've got to think about, you know, is it worth, worthwhile? So starting point, I think, for me would be exactly that. You know, um, why partner? And what benefit and value do you expect from your partnership? That's the first thing. Second thing is to make sure you are aligned internally. If I continue the relationship uh, sort of example, um, the strongest relationships, and I know because my wife is, a, is, a, is an analyst, um, <laughs> the, most, the strongest relationships are where you know, the parties involved go into it really secure in themselves. They know themselves really well. So the second really important thing I would say is make sure that internally your organization is aligned. Um, so the fundraisers, the corporate partnership specialists, the policy people, the advocacy people, the comms marketing people and so on are really aligned. They know what they want from particularly strategic partnerships. Because if you're not aligned, uh, then even when you're successful in getting a partnership, things might collapse. Right? So those are important things. And then, of course, following from that, be then really clear who it is you're wanting to target uh, what they can bring to you and then what you can bring to, to them because the most important and most, sorry, the most effective partnerships are where the parties involved can, can leverage their competencies, their assets, their know-how and so on. So those, are, those would be some of the bits of advice I can give. And whether you're a small charity uh, with a small number of people or a massive charity, those principles are really important. And I talk about you know, both parties bringing value to the table. Often the value that charities bring is intangible but really important. Um, and, and the voice that they have, the proximity to you know, beneficiaries they have, the know-how, the insights, those are really important things to, to, to bring to the table. Now, just one last question for you, I think, Manny. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, this is the 13th barometer in the series. Yeah. And what's your view in the sort of value of, of running this type of research, this barometer every year? And um, how has it evolved since the very first edition? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, so, of course, before we launched the first edition of very ma- many years ago, we did a, did a landscape study in the UK and internationally, actually. Um, we felt partnerships would become very important, but actually there was no such. There were a number of things, but not ones that existed that asked for the, uh, sought the views and we create, was created or were created with the input of, you know, companies and charities and NGOs and, and non-profits and so on. Um, and which is why we created created this. Um, so the value is actually exactly that, that the input and the voices of those who are operating in the partnering arena. Now, the study has a, a UK bias, but actually has a strong international element because the, the, the charities and the companies are, many of them are leading globally uh, and so on. So it has value in that sense. The UN Sustainable Development Goal, of course, um, really important, you know, kind of the world's to-do list or must-do list, um, as some describe it, re- you know, recognize this, that partnership. So SDG 7 is about collaboration across sectors. It's, that's really important. And so we feel that this um, uh, 
barometer study, annual study, by taking the temperature on part of the hips, what's driving them, what good practice looks like, what the future looks like for them, etc., is helping to improve and enhance practice, um, um, sharing practice across companies and and, and, uh, and non-profits and, and so on. Uh, and, and also role modeling. So, you know, the, the top 10 or top 15 most admired partnerships are, you know, I've referenced, to, I've referenced one or two of them there. So it's, there's been a sort of a journey of maturity, um, which in a sense is paralleled actually what's happened in the corporate sector. If you re- remember, I, I could maybe think of it as a, con- as a spectrum. You know, many companies used to kind of operate in, in sort of, you know, philanthropically, right? So they might be behaving incredibly poorly, you know, in their day-to-day business, but they they might have a foundation somewhere. They make a donation to to, to a charity, and they define themselves as, as the good guys, uh, if you like. So companies went from sort of that sort of philanthropic approach to to, to community investment and CSR uh, and and so on, which was you know really kind of segment of companies, uh, if you like. Today, companies are talking much more about you know ESG, so environmental, social, and governance. Um, arrangements and practices and so on and strategies and programs and so on which are really whole system they're really much more about the company particularly corporate sustainability and I think so that's happened over a period of time and it's almost like the barometer's journey has mirrored that actually so the barometer started off at a time when things were really very philanthropic um that hasn't gone away completely, but the emphasis has moved much more into a matured approach to strategic collaboration. And um, so the barometer's journey, in a sense, has tracked that, uh, which is why the types of you know, role model partnerships, for instance, that are, that, that are highlighted reflect very, very much that. They are sort of collaborations that are core, actually, to the businesses and the charities involved, WWF and and, um, and Tesco, uh, I mentioned, or Boots and Macmillan and so on, or actually HSBC and Shelters, a kind of good example of a partnership that's about you know, trying to you know, provide and find solutions to the problems that people who uh, are homeless have um, and so on. So, yeah, so it's, it's been really interesting. And that's, that's the biggest shift. It, it's about maturation over, over time. Absolutely fascinating. Well, thank you very much, Manny. Thank you. Thank you very much. Each week, we bring you a good news bulletin featuring everything from the positive to the downright strange stories we've spotted in the voluntary sector. And depending on when you're listening to this episode, uh, the world's largest annual fundraising event is either fast approaching or has recently taken place. Yes, the London Marathon and its charming combination of world-class athletic talent and cumbersome outfits. (laughs) Guinness World Records will have a team of adjudicators at the finish line to confirm or deny aspiring record breakers. It will indeed. And yeah, there's going to be no shortage of people running in crazy costumes. We featured the rhinos in a previous edition of Third Sector, which made for a wonderful photo shoot um, two or three years ago. But one man we'll be looking out for is Rob Duncombe, who's chief pharmacist at the Royal Marsden NHS Foundation Trust. He's hoping to become the fastest man to run a marathon dressed as a tree. And in case you were wondering, the current record uh, of a man running a marathon dressed as a tree is four hours, five minutes and six seconds. 
<laughs> well, he's doing it in aid of the Royal Marsden Cancer Charity, and he's doing it dressed as an oak tree because all the funds that he raised will go towards the building of the Oak Cancer Centre, mm. which they're hoping to join to build at the hospital. I suspect if he does manage to do it, he will be a very popular man. But if he crosses the finish line in under four hours, five minutes, six seconds, you could say that he'll get all the plaudits. Other categories. (laughs) Other categories included the fastest marathon dressed as a piece of stationery, a beer bottle and even a three dimensional shoe. What I'll be looking out for additionally, though, is a real life Chewbacca Uh from Star Wars. He'll be covered in fur and won't be trying to break any records apart from maybe the sweatiest person en route. And he runs to raise money for Shooting Star Children's Hospices. So a huge good luck to everybody who's taking part in the marathon this weekend. I'm very excited for all of you and I'm slightly sad not to be taking part this year. I'm not sure that I am. That's it for this week. We'll be back with another episode soon. So if you've enjoyed this one, make sure you subscribe to the Third Sector podcast on all platforms to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Lucinda Rouse. And I'm Andy Ricketts. Thank you to our guest, Manny Armadi, and our producers, Aidan Lyons and Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. We'll see you next week. <laughs>